When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Uh, we'll just uh, we'll run the gamut. We'll have some fun. Go like 45, George. Yeah, that's cool with me. Good with that. You got nothing to do. <laughs> But eat. You guys are stopping me from eating. That's probably good for my career. Gonna take it. Got it! Boston wins! Two legends in basketball analysis with over 70 years combined experience. This is the Bob Ryan and Jeff Goodman podcast. NBA, some college, a little bit of everything. You know, what can I say? But it wasn't going to happen here with him. I was okay with it because it wasn't about talent, I didn't think. All right, let's get right to it. All right, now please to welcome into the Ryan and Goodman podcast, uh, none other than the local boy uh, who has not had a haircut in a while and we can't really recognize him, uh, George Niang. You need somebody to take care of that mop on the top of your head. Man, uh, you know, with my Iowa State education, they didn't have me pick up any clippers and learn how to cut (laughs) my own hair. I'm trying to practice social distancing. Jeff, so so just bear with me. I, I didn't feel like I'd have to impress you two with my looks. So I read, I read the other day, George, uh, an, an admonishment: don't ever try the bowl on the head trick. It doesn't work. <laughs> just in case you ever get a, a, a whim or someone tries to sell you on it, don't do it. That's all I'm telling you. Wait, that, just don't do it. Right. Okay, that's <laughs> good advice right there. Well, it's nice, nice, nice to get together with you here and and and. But yeah, you were uh, present at the creation, George, March 12th. Yes. Uh, you were there. I wondered if you can, you know, if you don't mind, walk us through. I mean, from the, uh, the whole thing, what was it like to go through that night and, and, and take it from there? Um, well, you know, as you know, we didn't know much or we don't know. We didn't know what we know now uh, back when all this occurred. I mean, obviously it was looked at, you know, as some virus that, you know, didn't personally affect any of us, so we didn't know how to take it. Um, obviously, you know, we, it was a normal trip. You know, we had just played Toronto the night before, and the next day we had flew down to, uh, you know, Oklahoma City, and, you know, Rudy had a, a cold that you would think anybody would have, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and nobody thought anything of it. And, um, but obviously the training staff had gone in and said, hey, you know, just for precautionary reasons, we're going to have you tested for coronavirus. Uh, so the next morning we wake up, shoot around, no Rudy. Um, and then we kind of hear rumors of that he tested negative for strep, the flu, and different things like that. And, and I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, it just must be a common cold that you know, nobody can really test for. And Jordan Clarkson had come up to me. He was like, no, nah, if he's not testing positive for those, I, I think he has it. And I'm like, 
anybody who knows Jordan Clarkson, you're like, all right, Jordan, like, <laughs> whatever. You're not selling me on a bunch of lines. And, you know, everything continues to be normal. We get to the arena. You know, obviously, we had been warned by, um, you know, our coaching staff, you know, uh, the organization, you know, try not to shake hands, try to wash your hands, use hand sanitizer. So we get all through that. Everything's a little different when it comes to that. And then when we get on the court, you know, everything's normal. We do the starting lineup, get there, and then you see guys in suits running out or as, the, as guys are starting to get on the court for the tip ball. And that's when I started to realize, I thought to myself, is Oklahoma City saying they don't want to play us because we could potentially have someone that has coronavirus? And I kind of made it like a, are the Thunder really going to be this petty and, and not play this game? Because it, it was a big game. It was the 4-5 game. And if they beat us, they move into fourth place. And if we don't play each other, then, you know, who knows what could happen? So that's what I was initially thinking. Then they send us back to the locker room, and I was like, I, this has never happened in the game of basketball for me. So I knew this couldn't be good. So then, you know, uh, guys are at, like, Ed Davis is, is grabbing our trainer, like, what the heck is going on? We get in there, Quinn immediately walks in and tells us, you know, Rudy has the coronavirus. And that's when mayhem started. I mean, phones going off, you know, TVs in the locker room. They're telling us we need to wear masks. We need to wear gloves. Oh. And then I'm sitting next to Boyan Bogdanovich, and I'm, he's looking at me. I'm looking at him like, do you have it? Or, Stay away. Like, you're too close. You know, the six feet thing. Huh. And it was kind of like being trapped, like, in your own mind. We were stuck in that locker room for six hours. Huh. Um, people were saying, we're going to get you to a hotel to get you tested. But we know between us, like, what hotel is going to take 53 potential coronavirus uh, uh, havers or, or, or hosts to stay at their hotel. Nobody's going to do that. So we couldn't get a hotel. Um, we didn't know what was going to happen next. We didn't know if we could even get that many tests to even let us, um, you know, get out or be able to go home. We didn't know if we were going to fly home. Guys were guys that had the money were calling private jet companies to be like, Hey, can I get dropped off at the airport so I can fly home? Cause all of us were thinking, you know, I'd much rather be at home going through this than stuck in Oklahoma in the city. No offense to all the Oklahomans out there, but that wasn't our first choice. Um, we then get tested, leave the arena at 2 in the morning. I want to say it was like a residence inn that had taken us. They were empty. Um, and the funniest thing about this, I don't even know if I should be saying this, but the lady at the front desk, because we were all sitting in the lobby, because we were thinking at the end of the night, you spend six hours with somebody, you're like, shoot, if I have it, you probably have it. But how are we going to get through this and not give it to anybody else? And we asked the lady, because, you know, we were wearing masks, and we were like, do you know what we're in here for? She's like, yeah, you know, I mean, if I get it, I'll be all right. And I was like, dang, like, what, <laughs> what, what the heck is going on? So we ended up getting our results at 10 in the morning. And uh, obviously, you know, we knew Rudy had had it, and we were all in a group chat, and all of us were texting, like, yeah, like, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Like, once they got the phone call, and obviously Donovan had told us, yeah, guys, you know, I contracted the virus. Um, you know, I'm just going to remove myself and just try to cope with this and deal with this. And I will touch base with you guys when I know more of what's going on. And that was kind of like the sad moment, you know, of the trip, you know, obviously it was upsetting that Rudy had it, but we were hoping that nobody else would have it. And that's kind of the story of the whole night. You know, we flew back, we finally got some Delta flight attendants who have been amazing 
Um, you know, they've done our trips before, but just to come get us and bring us back to Salt Lake. And then I was stuck in my uh, apartment, you know, for 14 days. Uh, people would deliver groceries and I'd give them a squirt of hand sanitizer. I didn't even have to tip them, Bob. <laughs> Jeez. When you guys heard that Rudy had been fooling around with the media, you know, with the, the microphones and the, your reaction was? Uh, well, I mean, here's a tough thing. It's, it's people who um, know Rudy, know Rudy, right? And how much of a perfect storm was it that he got coronavirus and, you know, he had happened to touch the mic? Like I, like I said before, nobody knew how serious it was, right? Nobody had known, like, we had, we've seen Ebola, we've seen SARS, H1N1, and that has never personally affected any of us, to be you know, quite frank with you. Um, so I think, you know, what Rudy was doing, he's a jokester. He's, you know, he's a prankster and he was just trying to show, you know, listen, this is getting blown out of proportion. And I, I you know, and come to find out it, it was something that wasn't. And I feel bad for Rudy because there is not one malicious bone in Rudy's body and the way it came off for people that don't understand Rudy um, thought of it like that and slandered his name and thought that he was being irresponsible, where it may have looked irresponsible, but his intentions weren't to be irresponsible. Everybody has those joking matters that, you know, you kind of wish wouldn't be put out in the public. But once he had it and everything started shutting down, like sports, everybody wanted someone to blame, and Rudy just happened to be the easiest person to blame. Yeah. And uh, does Rudy regret it? Yeah, I've talked to him, and he completely regrets that. Does that make him a bad person? No. But we make mistakes in life, and his just happened to be in front of the whole world. Yeah, no, it's, it's just, his name is unfortunately going to be associated with this for a long time. Yeah, that's just the way it is. Uh, I just don't good sidetrack, not sidetrack, but let's talk basketball for a second with regard to Rudy. Uh, um, the, he has continually grown in stature in this league uh, with with his shot blocking and rebounding, particularly. Um, you, you've seen him for three years. Uh, what kind of progress have you seen in, in him as a basketball player? Yeah. Um, you know, Rudy Gobert, I will tell you this, is probably, you know, I'll tell you a story. He's probably one of the most competitive human beings I've ever been around. Um, Rudy's not the most coordinated, right? We're not, we'll call a spade a spade, right? So you're, the one, first, to the first, you're, you're one to talk. Exactly. I'm overweight and uncoordinated, Jeff. That's why they keep me around. I tell the good jokes. Um, but So Rudy had just got a ping pong table put in his facility. It was the first year I was here. And, you know, we were in uh, training camp and he was like, hey, do you want to come over and, and play ping pong? And I'm like, sure. Like, do you know how to play ping pong? Like, I'm like, Rudy, your hand probably doesn't fit, you know, with the paddle. And he's like, no, like, I've just been learning. So I get over there, and, and I mean, like, I'm waxing him. Like, it's like six games to zero. And he's like, one more. And I'm like, Rudy, I'm going home. Like, this isn't, a, this isn't worth my time, you know, to sit here and, and play you. And so every day after that, we, after practice, he texts me the emojis, like, you know, the young kids do, a paddle and a ping pong, and, like, question mark. And I'd be like, no. Like, because in my mind, I'm thinking, how good could you get in one day? And the next day, paddle with a ping pong. No, Rudy, I'm not coming over. Finally, on like the fifth day, I said, you know what? Fine, I'll meet you over there. So we get over there, and this guy beats me like four games to one. And I'm like, you're like, how did you get like so good? And he was like, 
to be honest with you, I was so pissed that you beat me six games to zero that I made my TV cable guy play me after he set up the cable in my house. He's like, we were there for three hours. And then after that, he'd fold the table up and just start going back and forth, back and forth. And that kind of resonates with me because when Rudy came over, you know, here he was drafted and Enos Cantor was ahead of him. Derek Favors was here also. So it wasn't like he just was put into a role where he was just able to have the whole franchise, which that he has now. And it just showed me that this guy is going to go to extreme lengths when it comes to ping pong that he just picked up. Imagine what he's going to do for basketball and develop into the player that he needs to be to be dominant. I mean, I don't know if we've ever seen someone as dominant uh, on the defensive end. Obviously, you guys have had a lot more, you know, time to see players in, in different day and ages. But I've seen guys literally dribble the ball in the paint and turn right around and go to the three-point line. And teams really are afraid to score in the paint against us. When they usually beat us, it's usually over the top or, you know, Rudy didn't have a great game protecting the rim. And I just think his impact on the defensive end and the improvements he's made offensively, and he's only 26. I mean, imagine how much better he's going to get with how competitive he is. He's grown tremendous, and I think that's a tribute to his character and how bad he wants to be great. He's already won two defensive player of the years. I, I see three, you know, possibly four more with just his natural ability. With currently no NBA, NHL, or Major League Baseball, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Bet Online still has hundreds of places to wager, from their online casino to poker and blackjack, all open 24 hours a day and all online. Sports aren't totally done. There's still mixed martial arts, golf, esports, XFL, and many more. So if you're into entertainment, you can still bet an American Idol, the elections, the spelling bee, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. Be sure to use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus in your first deposit. Bet online, your full access wagering solution. Now listen, George, let, let's put it into perspective here from somebody uh, that has uh, beaten you pretty badly. In oh, okay? man. I mean, uh, Talia here beat the living crap out of you last time you were over here in ping pong. Uh, you-, you know what? I think I was under the weather. I was 11. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, 11, you were 21. You're not supposed to say these things. I thought you're on my side. Dad can't get you anywhere. I beat him too. It's okay. She did. Oh, now the secrets come out. Well, the, 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 the story is uh, years ago when she was, what was it, sixth grade? Going into sixth grade. It was fifth grade. Fifth yeah. grade. I said, if you ever beat me at ping pong, I'll get you a cell phone. Thinking there was no way in hell she was. I mean, I was beating her 21 3, 21 5, whatever. And I was messing around with her a little bit, and she was up like 15-5. And I tried to mount a comeback, and I couldn't. And uh, next thing you know, I'm taking her to the store in Salem, New Hampshire, driving 45 minutes away to buy her a new cell, to buy her a cell phone um, when she wasn't even in the sixth grade yet. So uh, anyway, I wanted her. She's got to go back to class now. But I wanted her to make a cameo here to say hello uh, and, and to really show that you are one crappy ping pong player. <laughs> Good to see you. Go get that pingree education and keep spending dad's money. I love to see it. Sorry, so it. nice. So it nice. nice to see you. you too. Uh, George, you're, you guys were, I don't know if you were the first or what number were you that opened your facility? The, the Jazz opened the facility about a week or so ago. Were you like number one, number two? I think third or fourth. I think Portland and two other teams had had done it before we did. 
And uh, what's it been like? Describe to me what the setting is like when you went in for the first time and what it's been like as some of the other guys have started to come back now. It, it was a relief. I mean, to be honest with you, I hadn't made the drive to the facility in, in so long. And, uh, you know, you're kind of anxious because, you know, it, it, it's like a kid in a candy store. You want to get back out there and start doing all the things that you were doing before, but you can't. Uh, you know, we first got in and, you know, they have like a little iPad, right, that has like a face in it and it takes like your temperature from there and it has like a, a foreign lady that's like, your temperature is normal. <laughs> uh, that's the first thing you walk into. But then, like, every guy's used to walking in the facility, sweats, their new Nike tech fleece. But now you're coming in in, like, the clothes that you're going to work out in and a mask. And then there's someone that, you know, we call him the hygiene czar um, who was standing at, with a table with another thermometer and, you know, a, a checklist because they, uh, they text us a survey. So you're supposed to take your temperature at home and if you've had any symptoms or come in contact with anybody who's had COVID and you fill that out before you get there. So they'll check to see if you've done that. Then they'll give you some gloves. Um, you can hand, you can hand sanitize before you put on the gloves or sanitize the gloves. And then you kind of proceed forward, whether you're getting treatment or going to be on the court or in the weight room. And for my experience, there's only one other player in there with me. So I'm in the training room by myself while he's in the weight room. I'm on the court by myself while he's in the training room or in the weight room. And that's kind of how it's been. And I have two and a half hours to get my work in. And then I have to proceed out a different door, which is across the gym um, with my mask on. And if they have food for us, they have that, they have the bag sanitized. You, and you have to pick that up. George, you're not seeing any of your teammates really. No, not, not at all. I mean, from a, from a distance and, and literally, if I'm lifting, there's a guy behind me with a spray bottle and a cloth. And every time I pick up something or touch something, he's going over to spray it and clean it off. And I was telling someone the other day, I was like, the facilities were made for guys to feel like comfortable, right? Otherwise, we just go to like, you know, 24-hour fitness and, and work out there because we go there to have that sense of privacy, that sense of security where, you know, you can act the way you want to act. You can talk the way you want to talk. And that, I don't want to say it's all been robbed for, from us because people that have suffered, you know, illness from COVID-19 or, or people have passed because of that's insensitive to that. But it's like almost not even real because we can't experience that, you know, security and that ability to just be laid back of being in the facility and not having to worry about the fears that are outside of our facility, the fears of life, that is. It's, uh, uh, let's just move down the road a bit. You, you've, I'm sure, examined any proposals that they've made about how you might resume play, which include a, a sequestering situation somewhere, Orlando, for example, uh, regionals, that, that kind of thing. I mean, have you had any discussions with your teammates or, or about the viability of any of this? Are you guys buying any of it? Oh, the, the season is going to go forward. I, I, think, uh, I think the guys are, are pretty bought in now. I would say that would have to have been in the last two weeks with Adam Silver's, you know, phone call and then Chris Paul being in touch with a couple of guys, you know, on our team. And, you know, obviously I think we're going to play. Um, I think we're also going to take the necessary steps and the longevity or time, however long of time it takes to make sure that it's done in the safest way possible. Um, I don't think the NBA would ever put us out there to be at risk or, you know, to injure ourselves. 
So I, I think there's going to be a time where, you know, we're going to be made aware that, you know, we're going to be allowed to do, you know, group workouts, um, whether I think they'll give us two, a two week notice. And then from there on out, I think they'll let us know that, Hey, this is the day we're aiming for to have teams come back and practice. And then we'll go from there. I think, you know, they'll probably give us 20 to 25 days as a team. And then from there, I, I see the Orlando thing, you know, working out, um, you know, obviously we're, someone said this to me, we're going to be a bunch of millionaires at a playground uh, at, at, Dis- at Disney World. It's, it's, we're going to go back to the AAU days of where guys are hanging out outside, other guys are watching other teams play, and you're just going to be in one constricted bubble. And I see that being beneficial, especially if no outsiders are allowed in. As you know by now, I'm finally doing something about my weight and my health by starting Awaken 180 Weight Loss. I've already dropped about 18 pounds, and I'm not the only one. Kendrick Perkins is down about 30 pounds, and we're just two of 11,000 who found the solution for weight loss. No gym, no medication, no tricks, or gimmicks. Awaken 180, a combination of science, nutrition, and expert one-on-one coaching. If you have weight to lose, I recommend you call Paige and her team. You'll lose weight starting the first week and each and every week until you get to your ideal weight. Awaken 180, six locations, but during this lockdown, they're starting clients virtually. The same program from the comforts of your home. Simply log in to awaken180weightloss.com. Fill out the form online and start your weight loss transformation. Awaken 180 Weight Loss, the official weight loss program for the Boston Red Sox. George, you should see if you can be a uh, like a guest broadcaster when you're Ooh. not playing. Seriously. Yeah, that, that would actually be good. And I think what I've learned, you know, with the little experience that I've had is the more practice you get, you know, the better you are. And what better way if they could throw me in and not bring in another person right. uh, to do a, a playoff game. I'd, I'd put that on my resume. That'd put me right above you, right? You're already way above me. You're already wow. way above me. Listen, all I know is right here, I've got, I've got some strawberries. That, that's what I'm eating here. I'm trying to stay sort of healthy and not gain a ton of weight. I don't know how you're doing it, like, without your Twinkies, without your, your, all, all the other garbage you eat, your cookies. Uh, how many pounds have you gained through this thing, and, and have you started to kind of take it off here by getting back to, to work over the last week or two? Oh, man, the first six weeks, uh, you know, were tough for me. Obviously, you know, you didn't know what was going to happen. So I was kind of, you know, living in off-season mode. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> instead of one cookie, why not three, you know? Um, but then, you know, obviously, you know, you start to have hope and you, you see a, a vision in the future. And I, I tell people this all the time. As a basketball player, my whole life has run on a timeline. So for this to happen, I've – never had something where I don't have a timeline. In high school, I knew when I had to be on campus for college. In college, I knew when conditioning started. 
In the NBA, I knew what my offseason was. I knew when summer league started. I knew this was something I had no idea when the end of it was going to be. And to be honest with you, watching CNN and Fox News might have been the worst thing I could have did because by then I didn't know if it was going to end by 2021 or 2025. So at that point, there'd be some days where I'd be motivated and get up and be like, all right, this is going to happen. There'd be other days where I'm like, man, I'm just going to sit and do nothing because, you know, this isn't ever coming back. And now that there seems to be a timeline, um, you know, I've gotten the gym for a week and a half and, and dropped like eight pounds just by being able to be on the court and have physical training with the right equipment. And, and that's been a huge step for me because obviously, you know, the, the bigger I get, uh, the, the less of longevity I'll have uh, in, this, in, this, uh, in this career that I have. So um, it's been tough. It's been difficult. But I think the fact that the NBA opened up the facilities is giving a lot of guys hope and is going to help, you know, a lot of guys going forward to continue to better themselves, you know, for this season. Because I don't think the NBA wants to come back and put out a bad product, um, especially when they've waited this long to, to get through this pandemic. I'm going to go back to uh, the basketball that was played this year a little bit. And uh, this is probably a stunning announcement to some people who are listening. But when play ceased, the Utah Jazz had a 41-23 and record. And we're having a pretty damn good season. As you pointed out, we're number four and, and uh, would have had a home court if the playoffs were to start that night. Um, you, well, I guess what I'm going to get at is you've got the franchise is almost perpetually under the radar. Do you guys, can you use that as some kind of a nightly motivation or is that self, not self pity, but that self analysis come up among you guys? What, where you feel like we can blame the well, well, people, well, people don't, you know, you say, well, we'll show them. Nobody, nobody takes us seriously. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm saying not, we don't get the, res- oh, I'll go to, do you get your proper respect? Is that something that motivates you guys use that word in the yeah. discussion about where you fit in the NBA firmament? No, 100%. I mean, Bob, if, you know, we're being honest. Nobody's really talking about us as being, you know, a team that is headlining the West. It's always, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, you know, the Rockets. The Nuggets have even, you know, slipped in from that sleeper into that, you know, projected role. And even in the NBA, I mean, you know, obviously you people consider, you know, Utah, you know, a small market. And, you know, do we have the ability to bring in free agents and have that talent? And that is something that, you know, guys talk about. And that is something that, you know, even our coaching staff would even bring up, you know, not on a consistent basis. But I think the thing that makes us unique um, from anybody else is we have a culture, you know, that's built uh, with the jazz. And guys are constantly buying into that culture that Quinn has set where, you know, the strength of, you know, our team is our team. You know, the fact that we have, you know, guys that can be more – you know, dynamic than other guys, you know, where we talk about, you know, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy, we have guys that really complement each other. Whereas other guys have flat out superstars that have to fill huge roles. I think the biggest thing with the Utah jazz is if you notice, you know, with the synergy between all of us and over the years, guys come in and play here and have to fit certain roles that help the team win. It's not, you're coming in to build your brand or help better yourself or look better. Um, and I think that's what makes us successful. And I feel like we are turning the corner on getting to the point um, where we're going to be able to win championships. And I think some people ride us off and think that we're further off. Um, but I feel like we're right there. Because to be honest with you, Bob, I think we're closer than a lot of people think. We started off the year slow. 
And, you know, we had a 500 record and ended up going on a 12-game winning streak and really kind of separating ourselves, you know, from the bottom pack of the Western Conference. That being said, um, you know, I think that gains some respect from some people that are, you know, basketball junkies and, and, and really follow the game. But I don't think, you know, you're going to top, you know, the Lakers and LeBron uh, because signing that superstar that, you know, kind of takes over the whole organization, I don't think that's who we are in our DNA. And, I, and I, I've heard jazz people say this before. It's we're not going to, you know, fit into you. You're going to fit into us. And I think that's why, you know, you know, we've had a lot of guys. Dennis was in San Antonio with R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich. And I feel like that's the kind of identity and – you know, culture that we're building over here in Utah. So I know Hoiberg pretty well. Mello is, is get up. Steve Prohm, you played for Mello. I don't know Quinn Snyder. I, I don't know him just because when he was in Missouri, I just kind of started to get into college basketball, never really got a chance to know him. You know, he was kind of run out of college, and he's got that kind of slick back look. Mm-hmm. Like, who is Quinn Snyder? How do you describe who he is and what he's about? Yeah, I I would almost describe him, you know, I, I think one of his best attributes is he does a great job of wanting the best out of everybody, but can also take the temperature of the team and uh, build relationships with guys. Um, you know, the first moment where I – or there's two moments. I had signed on a two-way. Utah was 19 and 29 at the time. They were, wasn't looking like they were going to make the playoffs – he comes up to me, hey, I'm Quinn Snyder. Nice to meet you. You know, I, I watched film on your game. Larry Brown had talked to me about you. Just basically going into depth, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm the 17th guy on this team. I'm the last person you should probably, you know, be talking to right now. And then, you know, he kind of, like, would have, like, small talk with me here and there and has small talk with everybody to make everybody feel as if, you know, they're important and they're a part of something. And the moment where I kind of felt where everything had like clicked and I felt like I was bought in by an organization was our first game or second game of the year. Two years ago, we played the Golden State, you know, Warriors. I had eight points. We ended up losing because Jonas Jerebko tipped the ball in at the buzzer and we lost. He texted me that night and was like, I am so proud of you. Um, You know, I can't wait to continue coaching you and really had, had, sent me a message that no NBA coach, assistant coach had ever done to me and basically let me know, like, you know, I believe in you. Now let's continue to grow. And I think Quinn does that with everybody. And it's just the relationship that he builds with his guys that are in his, his camp and in his fort. Yeah, he looks like the guy from the red eye, the movie with the crazy slick back hair. And he looks when he gets to yelling and spazzing. But he's addicted to being successful and there's no limit that he wouldn't go to to be successful the guy will stay up till four or five in the morning um you know watching film to try to dissect what we did wrong to make us look the best that we can be the guy literally had had me when he was like george we need to work on you getting in the lane and using your fakes literally had me all like off-season workouts driving in the lane like pivoting like doing the small things that he felt was going to take me to the next level. And to be honest with you, Jeff, like we know, like I'm not one, two, three, four, or five on this team. I'm more like eight, nine, 10, 11. It depends on the day. And the fact that he's taking the time out to do that with me 
is just amazing because one through 15 or one through 17, he wants his guys to all be in check because he's going to be in check when it comes down to anything. And above all that, he's a wizard with the clipboard. I mean, he's, he's done it overseas. He's done it in the G league. He's done it, you know, in, in, in college basketball. And I think if people really want to get to know Quinn, cause he's kind of, you know, behind closed doors and, and kind of reserved, he cares and cares more than people could even imagine but he's also going to push you to limits you never thought you could get to because he believes in you. And if you're on his team, then he believes in you. I love your description of him, you know, the, the, the passion, because what he struck me going back when I first discovered him as a player and then when he was assistant uh, under Coach K, uh, there's a movie, a famous movie called Elmer Gantry. It's about a wild-eyed evangelist in the 20s played by Burt Lancaster. And he's got this curl – I said, my, it's Elmer Gantry. That's what, when I see Quinn Snyder, I, I, that's A. But here's my, this is a story that was told, and, and I, I hope I'm not, you know, mistelling this, but this, I've heard this more than once. Coach K, when he was Quinn's assistant, when, when Quinn was his assistant, was saying, you know, he's going to make a, someone an excellent head coach someday, but he's going to need a really good compliance officer. <laughs> so That's take that true. for what it's worth. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and, and he's a he's he's a great guy and obviously he's been through a ton in his life and I'm just so happy for him that his addiction to being great is being appreciated and I don't think people understand how appreciated he is by this organization, by this community. Uh, by the guys that play for him, um, even guys that are on other teams. Every guy that I've seen comes up to him and gives him a hug. Because I, I think when a coach, coach gets vulnerable with you and kind of tells you his story, and believe me, he has stories from L.A., Mike Brown, Atlanta stories, uh, you know, when he worked for Coach K, when he played for Coach K. And I think when a coach gets vulnerable like that, because as you guys know, not too many NBA coaches get vulnerable. It's more like show up, do your job, I go home, you go home. Yeah. But when he builds that relationship with you uh, over a period of time, it allows a player to get comfortable. And in this league, you don't have a lot of places to get comfortable. So the fact that he can get comfortable with you and you feel like you can get comfortable with him, it's that bond that you build that doesn't really get built in the NBA because it's more looked at as a business sometimes than it is, you know, a personal relationship. What's it like for you now, George? I mean, you're, you're you know – We've known each other a long time, and, you know, first time we met actually was at Tilton, Bob. So yeah. I'm interviewing Nerland's Noel. They're playing pickup, and uh, and I was there to talk to Nerland's and Wayne Selden. Those were the headliners. So I'm trying to get Nerland's in between games uh, for a few minutes. And all of a sudden, I hear some guy yelling at Nerland's and yelling at me, uh, to get back on the court that, he, that we're taking too long. And I look over and I see this fat, chubby little kid. And I'm like, Ooh, is that my shirt off? Yeah, well, your shirt was off. You didn't have Michigan uh, spelled the wrong way on your, on, your, on your body at that point, on your gullet. I seen uh, that one. Oh, uh, hide it. <laughs> so, so anyway, so it, it's, it's George. I'm like, who is this kid? Like, like you know, like, like what is he? This, this full pay kid yelling and screaming because his parents got money and – you know, he wants to start up the game again. So then I start paying attention to him. Dude doesn't lose a game. Like, doesn't lose a game. He's got these, you know, up and unders. Nerland's trying to block his shot. He's making Nerland's look bad. I had never seen that. I still say to this day, Nerland's is a top five. There's, there's the picture, George. 
There's the picture. Oh, geez. Look at that. <laughs> Young George. What a beautiful sight. Oh, man. Um, Michigan wouldn't even offer me a scholarship after that one. Can you believe it? <laughs> so, BC no, didn't offer you. I mean, you've had that chip in your shoulder is what I'm getting at here is everybody's doubted you pretty much at every turn, uh, including I think a lot of people didn't know if you could make it in the NBA or stick in the NBA. Did you question yourself whether you could stick in, in, in the NBA? Um, you know, it's funny. I was just telling someone uh, this story the other day. Um, you know, when I got drafted, right, you know, I, I kind of did a good job when I was in high school. It was like when I came to Tilton, I was like, hey, I just want to make the basketball team. Then it was like once I made the basketball team, it's like I want to play every night. Then after that, it kind of got down to I want to be a Division One. I, I want to be high major. I want to be All-American. I want to win, uh, you know, uh, this or that. And then I, you know, I want to get drafted. And I never really saw past, like, getting drafted. So I told someone this the other day, I was like, when I got drafted, I was like 50% I made it because that was like my end goal. My end goal wasn't like I want to play in the finals against LeBron. Like that wasn't like – they'd be like, come on, George. Like let's really hone in. Like you're, you're a kid from Methuen, Massachusetts. And I was 50% like I made it and 50% like, okay, I'm ready to get better. But that was the problem is I don't have that leeway in the NBA to just be 50% bought in. I needed 100% to be like, all right. I reached that milestone, like, what's next? But I didn't know what to expect next when I was in Indiana. I was kind of just, you know, fitting in, doing the damn thing. I didn't know what role I could fit. I shot the ball well in college. I shot 9% my rookie year. So I didn't know really know what, what I could do. So, honestly, being cut and being sent down to the G League kind of made my career because it made me realize, like, okay, to get out of here, like, I need to have a routine. I need to have something where I go in every day and I do every day because no matter if I'm tired, sick, don't feel good, feel great, um, there's a job that needs to get done if I have this routine. And, and you know, my routine down with the Santa Cruz Warriors, um, well, I'll, I'll tell why I got a routine. Because when I went to training camp with the Golden State Warriors, I got to see Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry. And we were going on a trip to China. So, you know, I was lucky enough, you know, to be in there every day. And the old Warriors facility is I was staying in the hotel and the facility was right above. And every day at 9.30, without rhyme or reason, Kevin Durant was on the court, 9.30, not 9.30.01, 9.30. And he was on the court and he did his routine for like 25 to 30 minutes hard. Every day after practice, Clay Thompson was on the same hoop and Steph Curry was right across from him on the same hoop doing the same routine. Draymond Green was on the far court working with Mike Brown, working on the same routine. And, and the whole time I was with them, they did the same thing. Every t- no matter if it was we only had two hoops, 12 guys were shooting at one hoop while Steph and Clay were getting their routine on the other one. Like, it's just how it was. And they were never stopping. Like, we had just flown into China, and they were still getting their routine. So it made me think, like, okay, if these guys are the best of the best and have a routine, then I need to – figure out something. So I did that. I went down to Santa Cruz. I got a routine. And like I said before, it just lets you realize that like a job that is, it needs to get done. Whether if you don't feel good or you're, you're feeling great, you just need to improve 1% every day. And once you start stacking days on top of days on top of days, shoot, two, three months go by and I'm like shooting 45% from three in the G league. I'm averaging like 20 points and my team is the second best team. And, you know, my agent calls me and says, hey, you know, Utah, 
is, is calling. They want to sign you to a two-way. And it just made me realize, like, it's not going to be easy. And there were days where I didn't think that, you know, I'd ever get back and that I blew my only opportunity in the NBA. But when Utah signed me to the two-way, you know, I, I kept working. And then when I got signed to a contract, I looked back a bit and I was like, damn, like all the hard work that I put in, you know, it wasn't easy, but it was worth it, you know, and it's because it's what I want to do. And now I look at it as like, what's the next milestone? It's like, I want to be a part of a championship culture and organization and continue to build on that because I, I know growing up in Methuen, Massachusetts, I never had anybody to look up to, to be like, Hey, that's who I want to be like, you know, that that's who I want to be. Obviously there was Chris Herons and different things like that, but there was nobody that like, I got to be like, they were from Methuen, Massachusetts. They took the same route that I did. And that's who I want to be like. So I kind of like had to pave that way for myself. And I think the thing that keeps me motivated is, yeah, I, I want to be that, you know, role model for that kid that is from, you know, the Merrimack Valley area that is like, hey, I, I can do this. Like anything is possible. Because if you look at that Michigan picture of me, nobody was predicting that that kid would be playing in the NBA. Oh, I don't know Given that – Everybody uh, in the G League is there for a reason, which is to get out of the G League uh, in their own minds. Of course, no one really wants to be there. It's not a goal. How much, how possible is it to get, attain a team feeling in that context, George? Oh, I mean, it's tough. It's tough. And um, I think the most successful people um, in the G League are people that can understand, you know, what's going on, take it for what it's worth, right? The G League, nobody really wants to be there, but have relationships. And it sounds kind of messed up to say, but manipulate those relationships to get people to do things that they think benefit them, but also benefit you, you know, where it was like, if I wanted a rebound, I'd be like, hey, man, the way you throw with those seams, like, hey, nobody better than you. Because I mean, nobody wants a rebound for a guy in the G League that's making G League money, but you know, you got to treat people the right way. You kind of got to treat people in ways that, you know, they feel good about doing things for you and they feel like it's benefiting them. Like, you don't know how many times I said like, Hey, when I make it, you know, I got you, man. You know, like just silly stuff like that. You know, you, I don't want to say like a, you, a old car salesman, but like, that's how it is because, um, you know, with the G league, nobody wants to be down there because I was lucky enough in Santa Cruz. We got a ton of fans. Santa Cruz was just all bought in on the Warriors. But you go to Reno, I'm playing in an old convention center and there's 12 people there. You know, you got to muster up your own energy. And obviously, you know, it, it's a tough situation being down there, but it makes you appreciate what you have when you get up here. And I'm thinking like, man, I ain't never going back down there. I ain't ever going, whatever. If I have to fight someone, claw, scrap, play our GM one-on-one with my arm tied behind my back. I'm doing that because I'm not going back down there. As a New England bred kid, was there any culture shock in Ames, Iowa when you got there? Oh, (laughs) I mean, I love Ames, Iowa now, but driving down 93, I can see houses off the highway and and trees. And, you know, there may be a, a Burger King. When you land in the Des Moines airport and you drive 45 minutes north to Ames, Iowa, you can see as far as the horizon on both sides. You may catch a windmill or a, a, a couple, um, you know, combines and machines out there working. But, um, you know, it was tough for me. And I'll tell this story. They have, a, they have a, a, a convenience store over there called Come and Go with a K. Come and go. And um, 
you know, in Boston, you know, when you're walking, it's kind of like head down. Like if you don't know someone, you're not making eye contact with them. You're not waving. But in Iowa, it was like, everybody was like, Hey, Hey, like, how are you doing? How you doing? And in my head, I'm like, I'm from Massachusetts. Like nobody says hi to anybody. It's like, what do you want? Like, like, let's just keep it moving. (laughs) at, At first I thought it was, you know, they know this big recruit on campus, but Nobody knew who I was, but that's just how they all were. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Oh, great to see you. And I'm like, you don't even know me. But that was like the shell that every Massachusetts kid has. Like, what do you want from me? You know, and, and I kind of had to like. That's all. That's what you yeah, are. Exactly. We have that name for a reason. You drop that guard. And, you know, obviously that was, that was kind of the, the, the great point of it. You know, I was walking into a situation where everybody was going to love me, even if I stunk or not. You, you, you play bad for BC. You have guys like Jeff writing about you telling you you can't jump over a credit card. Or me. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to say that because I like you. <laughs> hey, how did you get the, the nickname? What, what, mini, what is minivan? Oh, the, the minivan. So that's funny. Uh, you know, I, I was in and out of the rotation last year. We were playing Brooklyn at home. And I had just got in the game. And they swung the ball over to me. And I had uh, – I pumped faked and went by Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and kind of, like, hesitated and then had a chance to, like, wide open, Jeff, like, go up there and just hammer it home. And I try to go up and get off two and dunk it. And I, like, eh, like, <laughs> lay the ball in the hoop. And everybody on the bench, like, stood up when I was about to do it. And they were like, oh, like, <laughs> what the heck? And I get back to the locker room and guys are like – like, what the heck? What was that? Like, and I was like, hey, 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 listen. I know you guys are all Ferrari engines over there and, and can get revved up real easy. I'm like a minivan. You know, I need a couple laps around the block before I hit top speed. And then our sideline reporter found out about it. And then it just kind of took off. And what better marketing tool than the minivan? I mean, I, I think the best way you can nickname yourself or have a self-proclaimed nickname is if you're making fun of yourself. Because I'm... I, I really – I know what I am, and I know who I am, and I can laugh at myself, and I think that's a, a good quality to have. Like a so, minivan commercial. Like, can we get you in a, on some sort of minivan commercial in, like, Danvers at one of those – you know, one of those uh, – when you come back home, one of those car dealerships? Hey, man, if Herb Chambers is paying, I'm in there. <laughs> well, listen, we, we appreciate you doing this. We really do, and, and – uh, uh, whatever your snack of choice is, just lay off it. And like I said, go go with the strawberries. Go with the strawberries. They're healthy. They'll keep you as as thin as you've been in years. Which uh, and and get get a damn ping pong table, will you? No. I'll I'll just go up and play Rudy. He he seemed to got he had to have gotten a lot better in six weeks. Yeah, my, my daughter can take Rudy at least in ping pong. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Thank you guys for having me on. This is uh, this is awesome. That was fun. Best of luck, to you. George. Appreciate yeah. it. Uh, stay healthy, stay safe, and uh, hopefully we'll see you on the court soon. All righty, sounds good. You guys take it easy. Take care, man.